to build the D-line or not to build the D-line? That is the question. Should I should I do that again with an English accent? Like, like I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to be Hamlet. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, that could be interesting. I, I, I'd be almost interested to hear what you have to say. I'd say go for it if you're oh, comfortable. I don't, I don't think it's going to be good, but I can't promise it's going to be good and it may offend the audience. So an apology in advance. Let's see. Right, I have some of this because I think Hamlet's Scottish. I don't remember. I didn't. I don't remember for English. Okay, ready? No, I don't got it. You know what? Let's just go. Let's move on. I'm Good sorry. decision. I was wondering where that was going to go. Good decision. Let's just go. I got scared. I looked over the abyss and I was terrified. So welcome to the Touchdown Rundown. I'm your host and, and uh, cowardly impersonator, Tom's Willer. And joining me, as always, is the good old reliable Tony Nemeti. So... Today, Tony and I, as you can tell from the episode, we're going to be talking strategies when building your team's defense. So this question might seem a little random, and obviously, you know, of course, you need to build your defensive line. You know, the title of the episode is to build the D-line or not to build it, and what I'm not suggesting is not to build it, but I'm saying, is it the most important unit, kind of like as traditionally talked about? So about a year ago, I was listening to a football podcast, and the question was posed, should you build the defensive line or the secondary first, and you know which is more important to building? So the question might not seem that complicated, and the answer is really obvious. I know, Tony, you know, do you want to give the argument in favor of the defensive line being the more important group to build because you're on the camp of it's really obvious and it's the defensive line always? Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's my point of view. If we want to start it there, we can. Yeah, I mean, we we definitely can. I can go first. You can go first. You know, however you All want right. to do this. Well, being as the D line argument is kind of the more obvious one that a lot more people set, tend to subscribe to, I'll go ahead and start with that one. So, basically, when when Tom posed this question originally, it was actually in the group chat uh, that we have, and uh, it was very interesting because I kind of thought, well, this is pretty obvious i thought we'd all be on the same page turn into a big thing and here we are so in today's nfl the pass has kind of become the most important part of the game for most teams around the league there are some teams like you know the ravens steelers eagles that still kind of subscribe to that smash mouth run it down your throat football style but most teams have modernized to the pass with great success so this makes it sound like that i would choose to build around a secondary as opposed to a d-line unit but i actually think that the line makes the most sense to build around And here's why. When looking at the modern NFL system, the passing game, for the most part, is the heart of the entire system. So to have a great passing system, you need to have solid receivers that can get open, separate coverages, all that kind of stuff. So logically, a great secondary is what can stop that, which makes it kind of seem like, oh, well, if if the modern system is passing and the way to stop passing is secondary, then why wouldn't you do secondary? Well, that's fairly logical until you think that the receiving core is only half of the equation the other half is actually in one single player and that player is the quarterback as much as receivers need to get open create these windows that the quarterback can throw into they need time to do this this time is completely dependent on the offensive line and the offensive line's ability to protect the quarterback long enough for these receivers to be able to develop their routes and naturally go through their progressions if the quarterback does not have the the time to kind of sit and wait for these routes to fully develop, he will be forced to get rid of the ball entirely or make ill-advised throws with pressure in his face that could lead to turnovers. This is why I think the defensive line is key, along with the obvious job of stopping the run and protecting against scrambling quarterbacks like we've seen 
with the emergence of Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, there kind of needs to be, you know, everybody's become more aware and more able to kind of keep the pocket uh, as opposed to just bull rushing and letting the quarterback slip out. There's obviously that aspect of the defensive line, but there is also the defensive line's ability to close down the pocket in a progressive uh kind of preset programmed way that gives the quarterback as little time to throw as possible. So with a great defensive line, you can minimize the time, which essentially takes out the greatness of pretty much any receiver, as opposed to the secondary being able to recover great receivers. uh, But a great quarterback like an Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees can always find kind of like a window to get that ball into. So if it were me, I would choose to build around the defensive line because the defensive line can kind of smother the quarterback, really block against uh, the run, and can take out pretty much every aspect of the game in some capacity if they are elite. Tom, I will throw it back to you for your argument. Yeah, so Tony makes a really good point that the best way to impact the offense is to disrupt the guy who obviously is going to have the ball the most, and of course that's the quarterback. And so the people who are physically closest to the quarterback are going to have the most impact on the quarterback. So you should build the line, especially as Tony said, like you need maybe some good edge rushers to kind of clamp down and prevent uh, Lamar from running out to the sides or, you know, a really good quarterback like Baker Mayfield rolling out to the right, I believe was a very good maneuver for him. It was very valuable and efficient, but then, you know, people noticed that and they were able to adjust accordingly and shut him down. So the the line would have really good indicators uh, or the line, would seem to be the best way to go about it. However, so this is a bit of a different argument, obviously, but I I find the argument for the secondary or in favor of the secondary to be really interesting. So the traditional mindset of building the trench is just a historic way to build a defense in an NFL where passing was less and, and running the ball was more important, honestly. However, we play in a very different league where excellent pass pass rushers like Jadavion Clowney, who are the best ever at what they do. And I I do mean historically great. They are literally the best ever, the biggest, the fastest, the strongest in a league that prides itself on being the strongest and the fastest. Clowney was one of the most gifted, fastest pass rushers in the game. But his value is now being obliterated in the NFL by Ben Roethlisberger, of all people, who can throw the football in under three seconds. Clowney needs three seconds to get there, and Roethlisberger is throwing the ball in 2.26 seconds. So the ball is getting passed more and more for more yardage, and running seems to matter less, and the ball is being passed faster than ever. It's automatically kind of eliminating the value of a defensive line piece dramatically, instantaneously almost in the, in the case of Jadavion Clowney. I believe, you know, former top-tier pick, if, if not a number one overall. Tony can correct me if I'm wrong. And that value is obliterated, and now, you know, Jadavion Clowney has been on a handful of teams since being drafted by the Texans. And so the question is, if your line players where you're investing a lot of your capital are losing value because it's just the game is changing. Why would you not start drafting differently? So if teams are going to throw the pass, perhaps it's best to looking towards your secondary, building an elite secondary that can smother a great passing attack by disrupting passes, defending passes, just shutting down receivers. Uh, if the secondary can take away the quarterback's ability to get the ball out quickly, then an average defensive line can sack the quarterback. Whereas, a top-tier defensive line can be removed by a very fast passing quarterback against an average secondary. 
And as an added bonus in a league where passes are incredibly precise on a level we've not seen in the NFL, having an elite secondary can potentially force more tipped and intercepted balls, which is so critical to doing well in the NFL. Like, turnovers matter so much. It's what made the Dallas Cowboys such a great team this year was their defense was able to generate a lot of turnovers very, uh, you know, very well consecutively. And so for me, it seems like there are a lot of pros to the secondary and the secondary, of course, can kind of support your defensive line a little bit better. Similar in the way where Tony said, hey, if your secondary can get in there and disrupt, then maybe... You know the, the the passes that are coming out will be a little bit worse. Well, if if the quarterback has to hold on to it for just a second longer, maybe the D line, an average D line, can get there. So those are you know the basic arguments. Tony, how do you feel about your argument? How do you feel about held held up to mine? Um, I feel like we both had solid arguments. I mean, there's really strong cases for both. I guess normally we'd say sides of the ball, offensive defense. This is the same side of the ball. There's really good arguments to kind of promote both schools of thought, I guess, if you will. I think there are huge benefits to both sides. You can't really go wrong. It's just I think the D-line is marginally better than the secondary. And I think that while, yes, the secondary is likely the one that actually is going to physically cause the turnover, uh, interceptions are predominantly a defensive back thing. They're not really something you see too often with linemen. I do think that even if, like, for example, you have a great lineman that can that can sack a quarterback really, really fast, if that quarterback can get the ball out 0.2 seconds before the defensive lineman gets there, that D lineman is still generating some form of pressure. And that's what I think the difference maker for me is. The sack isn't necessarily what matters. It's the pressure and the kind of mental block of the quarterback thinking, Am I about to get hit? And that could be just enough to throw that ball off just a little bit where an average secondary could force a turnover in some way or another, or, you know, maybe just an incompletion in a vital moment. Like there's, it doesn't just have to be the sack as the number. That's what a lot of people look at. Oh, he doesn't have as many sacks, but there's also other kind of secondary stats that are like, you know, pressures. That is an extremely important one. Uh, and just how fast that guy can get in the face of the quarterback, even if he doesn't actually touch him. Yeah. I mean, one of the most important things when look, when evaluating a quarterback is obviously their pocket time. So it's a stat that you can, you can find a pro football reference. If they have a really poor pocket time and are poor, performing poorly, that would one indicate to the obvious that you need to invest in the offensive line. So I, I think you're right in that the, the advantage of the D line is that it can just disrupt so much. Whereas with the secondary, you're just not even looking to disrupt. You're just looking to kind of prevent or almost contain. Uh, so before we go on to, I don't know. I don't want to call it the answer segment, if you will, but um, the part where I'm going to offer you some, some data, let's hear a little reaction from the audience. So if you like Tony and you liked his argument, you know, react a little bit in the comments or react with your emojis. Okay, okay, we, we got a few reactions. We got a few reactions. And how about mine? Oh, that's cold. Okay, that's cold. <laughs> so there's one person right now just really, really giving it, giving a lot of thumbs up for Tony. So I feel, I feel a little bit sad. Um, but... 
whatever. And if you're wondering right now as you listen to this podcast on maybe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you like listening to podcasts, if you're, if you're talking about – what are you talking about? Who's sending emojis? How, how are people reacting? I encourage you to come listen to Colin where you can kind of come hang out with us and, and, and as the name would indicate, literally call in. So come, come hang out with us. Come talk football with us. We like to do later – um, in in the regular season, we do reaction episodes where we get reactions from the audience and kind of talk about that, and we'll take questions and stuff, and we just, we have a lot of fun, and I really enjoy the app. Um, so come call in with us. And now let's let's turn to the the actual data segment where I'm hoping to give an answer, if you will. So this is one that I stole from a fantastic basketball podcast called Basketball Illuminati. Called it, and the host is Tom Habershow. So the segment is called Tom did his own research. And I figured it's fitting because I did my own research. So, so Tony, do you know what year the current draft was adopted? Um, the current draft system was 94, 1994. Yeah, no, that's right. It's, it was in 1994, so it switched to the current draft format of seven rounds with the various compensatory picks. It used to be you know, as long as 8, 9, and 10 rounds in earlier iterations. And given the popularity of the format from 94 to 2022... I don't think the NFL is going to change that format particularly soon. And I think that, you know, I don't particularly see the NFL being huge on expanding the amount of teams it has. So I would imagine that the format that we are currently looking at will stay the same for a, a while to come. And, and that's really good for the purposes of my research. So first and more importantly, the, the methodology. So I went to the greatest football website in the world, Pro Football Reference, and just I always like giving them a shout when I use their data because it's so helpful. And so I downloaded all of the data for every single draft since 1994. And that does include the most recent draft that happened the other day, though that one doesn't obviously have data yet. So I excluded it from the sample until next year. So I ran the draft summary data. So it's a, it's a quicker look at a player's career. So it doesn't have like all of those statistics I like. So that's why I say a modified Zillow equation. Um, and I, I ran all the data through that and I was able to get an approximation for a player's career value. And again, I, I like to say approximation because I think that if I went in and looked at every single player's career and did all of them manually, you know, I would be able to say, Okay, maybe it's a little bit different for some players, and a little, you know, a little higher for some, a little lower for some. Um, and so that was about seven thousand and seventy-four players. That's so, a lot. Of players. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. This one took a long time. It was, it was a very long project, uh, but I'm hoping it's going to be a huge asset that will continue to pay dividends down the line. So let's do an example, I guess, just so you guys can get an idea of kind of how this looks. So Tony, who is one of your favorite quarterbacks that you always are like, he's so underrated, he's so underrated, why don't people see it? Kirk Cousins, it's got to be. Yeah, no, it's Kirk Cousins. So Love he, Kirk. <laughs> he was drafted 102nd in the fourth round. And to date, he's played 125 games. He's got a career passing percentage of 67%. He's just shy of 32,600 yards. He has 223 touchdowns, 91 interceptions, and 17 rushing touchdowns. So taking those numbers and running them through that modified Zillow equation, he has a career value of 248.33. And again, like that doesn't take into the full picture of him because like it's not talking about sacks. It's not talking about fumbles. And that's why I consider it an approximation. Honestly, he'd probably be right below 200, I think, if you're looking at his career value like in advanced Zillow. But for this base one, I just want to explain how I got the values I got. And it's just looking quickly at the important statistics, if you will. Okay. 
So next, I did all those calculations, and this was not done by hand. It was through the power of Excel, thank the Lord, uh, because I literally went through 27 years of data, and I averaged all the careers by position and round and created a mass data table to figure out the average of all the rounds in positions. So everything from QBs in the first round to safeties in the seventh. Interesting. So... I do plan on going over the results of what I found, and I, you know, as Tony and I get a chance to maybe digest this in the future, and we can do an interesting draft episode. Maybe next year at the actual draft, we'll go back and look at classes of the past. Um, we can call it a class from the past instead of a blast from the past. So th- there are two ways to go about looking at this data. So the first is the overall Zillow value, and for that, it should surprise absolutely nobody that the first in overall Z value is the quarterback in the first round. It's the highest position and it's really not close. Shocker, right, Tony? Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, so the next is the first round running back, then the second round running back, then a third round QB, then a second round QB, um, and then, you know, a first round receiver, and then somewhere down the list is a tight end. But that didn't sit right with us, Tony. No, no, it didn't. Now, why not? Um, Just take a, take a stab at it. It just seems like, so when you're looking at positions, it's kind of like, you know, the quarterback is always so important and it kind of skews data when you're saying that a quarterback that is drafted really low is the same value as, you know, maybe a tight end that's drafted really high. It doesn't seem like it fits quite right. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't make sense. Like, that's not fair to say, and I'm looking at the table right now, a six round quarterback should not be the same in value to like a second round tight end. Like that just feels unfair and it feels like it discounts the, the tight end position. If I'm being totally honest, like it's, it's just, it's minimizing the impact that a, an elite tight end can have on the field by reducing it just to saying a six round quarterback and one that's probably not playing a lot in the NFL. It's not fair that the tight end who's good, could potentially going to have a really good career is being minimized like that. So, what what Tony and I did, and something that I think is a simple solution, in it's something in statistics called a z-score. It was it's interesting, and I think it kind of corrects that problem. Z-score is just I'm seeing a lot of trends here. Z-low, z-score. Did you make that one up, Tom? Well, so that it might sound like I did, and I like to joke that I'm a little vain and I love putting a z somewhere in the title of my work. However, I actually didn't make up z-scores. So if you can believe, it, I. In statistics, the z-score is a statistical measure of position of a given data point relative to the mean and standard deviation. So it's, it's, I guess the best way I can explain it is it's fancy nerd speak for telling you how high something is away from the average of a data sample. Okay. So like, let's, let's go back. And so like Tony and I said, the, the first round quarterback is by far and away the most valuable pick you can have. Um, so it's still it's still quarterbacks and it's still quarterbacks by a particularly large margin. However, it doesn't just stay quarterback. So it'll be the quarterback in the first round, then it'll be wide receivers, tight ends and running backs, then running backs in the second and tight tight ends for the second, then wide receivers in the second and QBs in the third, which is something that I, I think is very interesting that quarterbacks in, in the third round are a little bit better than quarterbacks in the second round. Okay, so after we've looked at all of this, I know we've gotten a little bit off topic with the explanation. What does this have to do with the the title of the episode, to build the D-line or to build the secondary? 
Well, so thanks for reminding me, Tony. So initially, through our first method, I was really excited. So the average secondary player was dramatically higher than a line player. A safety in the first round is averaged out at at 19.47, and a defensive back, 16.21, and a cornerback, 13.85. Those are really good numbers for my argument. And defensive line players, they're dramatically lower. A tackle is at 11.10, and a nose is just 6.86, and an end is 14.49. That order, that order honestly makes a lot of sense to me, just schematically X's and O's. Uh, an edge player is going to get more sacks on average just based on how they're playing and, you know, depending on their scheme, whereas the nose is just responsible for crashing down and trying to eat up a double team in a 3-4. But more importantly to the argument and this episode, the secondary is overall higher up, so you should build your team through the secondary first. Hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. There's a flaw in this. What about that secondary method you used with your, uh, your vain old Z-score? Ah, yes, the Z-score. I, I, you know what? It is my favorite thing that I learned in statistics, and I, I think it might just be because it's a Z-score. Um, and I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. I was going to bring it up, or maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of like winning these debate segments. Um, <laughs> but So discarding offensive players and linebackers, the highest Z-score is, can you give me a little drum roll here, Tony? Oh, we'll see if I can. Hold on. I got my laptop. Let's just beat that. <laughs> Okay, so the highest Z-score is a defensive tackle, and then a defensive end, and then a defensive back, a safety, a cornerback, and then a nose tackle. Okay, so then what does that now mean? Well, so to me, when I when I ran this data through Excel, what I thought was really interesting is that a defensive tackle has a Z-score of 2.2 in the first round. So basically, with Z-scores, a zero is considered to be dead average. Like, if you have a zero, that's the average of your sample. And if you have a negative, it's below the average. And if you have, a, uh, like, a positive, so in this case, a two, it's a really high score. And so typically, like, you, in a normal sample size, a three is considered to, to be the best um, in a normal data sample. So for a defensive tackle to be a 2.207 in within the defensive tackle grouping is really important. Same with a nose tackle and the defensive end being so high because by the fact that they're so high and then in the second round they drop off significantly more, that tells you that it's really valuable to have a high caliber defensive line player taken in the first round. The secondary players, they're still high, but they're not nearly as high on average. So a cornerback is 1.4, a defensive back is 1.8, and a safety is 1.6. So the fact that there's a gap between the 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 defensive line players in the second round, but then you look at the second round for secondary players and there's not as noticeable a gap. It would seem to be suggesting to me, at least it's my evaluation that you should probably take defensive line pieces earlier on in the draft because it's harder to get a really good caliber player down the line. Whereas you can probably subsidize your secondary with second and third round picks a little bit better than you can your defensive line. Okay, so then are we have we concluded that the D line is the more important then? Sadly, I think so. So I think like in this case, if you are building a defense, you should take Aaron Donald as opposed to Jalen Ramsey. Okay. Which doesn't help <laughs> my case. Yeah. All right, I was gonna say well, so then D line it sounds like has a fairly narrow victory as of right now, is that correct? Yeah, I think that it's fair to say that that Overall, it's a little bit better to, to build your D-line and then try to subsidize your secondary through free agency and, and make your priority the D-line. Okay, so then 
not that I necessarily want to sacrifice a win on my record. I, I, I honestly don't know where we're at right now in terms of who's up. I think I might be up based off of this one now. But does this really settle the debate? Because it sounds like this is going kind of off of who you should draft. And that wasn't really a question. The question was who you like, which one should you build around, including free agency and the drafting? Like, you can still do all that stuff. So, is there a different way to look at it, or is this really an end all be all answer? I don't know if it's an end all be all answer because I don't know if there really are a ton of end all be all answers in football. And I, I think that researching free agency might be a really good way if like okay where where do where do teams that spend the most money at what positions get the most value and that's a segment that maybe we do down the line in the in the dog days of summer but like i said before keep in mind that the the gaps between so like go back so a defensive tackle in the first round is a 2.2 and then a defensive tackle by z score is a 0.514 that's a huge difference and that's the overall trend so nose tackles are 0.38 and they drop off to 0.34 a defensive end is a 1.9 and drops to a 0.689 and again those are not zero points but those are standard deviations those gaps are significant those are huge like that is a is telling me that in terms of the draft if you're going to build through the draft you need to build your line first. As we go to secondary pieces, the cornerback is a 1.3 and then a 1.197 in the second. So that is a very small difference. To me, what that's suggesting is that Zillow is saying the difference between a first-round cornerback and a difference between a second-round cornerback is very small on average. Same with defensive backs, like a 1.786 and a 1.1 difference. That is, I, I would argue that is significant, but it's smaller than most of the other D-line position. Safeties, I think safeties really have the biggest drop-off. They're a 1.7 and a 1, just a flat 1 in the second round. So maybe there's an argument to be made that drafting priority-wise, you should try and take safeties maybe. Like Kyle Hamilton was a really good pick for the Ravens. But again, overall, the biggest difference between those two groups is that it is a lot harder to find good value at defensive tackles, nose tackles, and DNs after the first round. Whereas with secondary pieces, you can find them arguably up until the third round for some of these positions. Okay. So I guess now that we've gone through that data, yes, the question still stands. Where do you, which do you want to build on D line or uh, your secondary and Zillow, the the model that we've kind of used for this one has suggested that D line is the more important in this in, I guess in the draft, you can say, which isn't 100% the full question, but it's enough where I think I'm going to take the win here. Yeah, no, and, and I'm going to give it to you. And I was done. Uh, look, we've been having this debate, I think Tony said for a year now. And I honestly, I felt really good about my position just because I feel like it's maybe it's a little bit of a hot take. But now that there's there's data, I don't know how much. You know, I like the fact that I'm losing by my own model. My own model, once again, out evaluates me at football. But <laughs> I think that this is, at least for the purposes of our debate and our show, this is as good an answer as I think we can really get that's beyond just maybe opinion-based. Like, I do think that this is, like, factual evidence. And I'm, I've always, I'm the guy who always says, okay, trust in the stats, like, trust in the stats. You know, if you don't like a stat, you need to find a good, legitimate reason to not believe the stat. And I literally built this, so I can't find a reason not to like it. It's literally the lifeblood of my football analysis. So 
Like, I'm going to throw my hands up and take the L here. You get the win, Tony. All right, awesome. Well, that's another debate segment, and I got to admit, I enjoyed this one. Well, yeah, you won. <laughs> that helps, like, just a little bit. I know bit. we talk about how vain you are sometimes, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, well, you know what? Three and two, it's it's not great. If we were doing a best of seven, I think I can I think I can run the tables here and get the next two games, pick them up in advance. Well, we got to figure out another debate segment then because these are always fun. Yeah, no, we absolutely do, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So next time, Tony, do you want to tease the audience what we're going to be doing next time? Uh, that's a great question, Tom. I'll be honest. I don't know what we're doing next time. Do you? <laughs> yeah, it's up to me to, to keep track of everything. So yeah, so I've been uh, quietly tinkering with Zelo in the background all this time. Um, and well, while we while I've been doing this research, and I just finished the AFC conference, and it's gotten some, it's given some really interesting answers. And if Tony wants to, maybe we'll do a little bit of a tease here and analysis. But once I finish the NFC later this week, we're probably going to do an episode about that and the surprising results it's given. Um, but Tony, since we've talked about this off air, what was the most interesting result that Zelo gave? Um. Well, here's the kind of interest. Here's the weird thing about it. When we say what's the most interesting result, I kind of interpret that as what's the most unexpected weird result. And the result that Tom is alluding to is Zelo was actually very low on the Broncos in comparison to what a lot of people have been thinking, including Tom earlier today, actually. But one <laughs> of the things that I have always been on ever since the Russell Wilson trade happened was I never understood why people were so hyped on the Broncos. And it was very satisfying to see in the group chat today that Zelo agreed once again. Yeah, so no, I went from, because I, as I was programming these, I like to do the defense first because I use, so I use a, an amalgamation of ESPN, CBS, and Sleeper draft and fantasy projections to just run simulations during the summer and for the first couple weeks of the actual NFL season. And then I switch them over to the actual statistical data. And so what I was doing is as I was going through this, I saw that Denver had an absolutely elite defense. It's the, I believe by Zelo, the second best in the AFC to only Buffalo. And I was like, Oh man, Russell Wilson has got to have done some damage on improving this offense. Like there's no way that taking Teddy Bridgewater and subbing him with Russell Wilson didn't do more. And you know what happened, Tony? What happened? He didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that feels that feels mean. So like we can dive into it really quickly if you want to, uh, I because I think it's I think it's fun to do a little teaser. And I'm sure, of course, you're going to be like, "Yes, I'm right. Why wouldn't we? I'm always I'm a genius." <laughs> now I, I I feel dumb. I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I feel lied to. My own model once again got me. So let's let's dive into this Denver team. So looking at Russell Wilson. His Zelo score is a 226. Now, Tony, you know Zelo pretty well. That's a pretty good score, yes? That's high, yes. But that's not factoring in any of his sacks that he's going to take because ESPN does not provide very good sack data, so I'm currently scouring the internet trying to find some good sources to kind of maybe make an average on, on how I think people are going to take sacks. So in reality, I'm willing to wager it's probably a low 190s, his actual true score. Okay, and I mean, I guess if you wanted to, this is something that I just looked up on my own earlier today, uh, just to kind of see how Denver's O-line stacked up against Seattle's, and it's actually fairly comparable, if I remember properly, off of the lineup statistics. Lineups is another one of those football websites that Tom and I 
absolutely love to use. Swear by. Uh, yep, swear by it. If you go to lineups and you see all of the different stats that they have, the far right stat is sacks allowed. And you can sort, obviously, by every kind of stat category. So if you sort by worst to best, the worst team is Chicago. But very quickly down the line, you will see the Seattle Seahawks. Expectedly, they allowed 46 stats, 46 sacks last year. So I was curious. Everybody kind of talks about Seattle's O-line as being so bad. That's the reason that Russ wanted to leave. So you would think that he would go somewhere that had a significantly better O-line. For reference as to how bad 46 uh, sacks is, let's go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had the best offensive line in the league last year. They allowed 23, so literally twice as many sacks as the number one team. So then you would think, okay, Denver got to, like, what, split the middle if Russ is going to go there? Not even close. Denver allowed 40 sacks last year. That's only six sacks better than the Seattle Seahawks were. So I really don't think the O-line is all that much better, and I don't think Russ is going to cook. And what if, Tony, I told you they're actually worse? I would not be that surprised. Yeah, well, they are, according to ESPN. So ESPN does team pass block win rate, which they they do tr- they use tracking software, I believe, and they literally they go in and they count how many times uh, an offensive lineman let, some, let his assignment pass before three seconds passes. So... For that, the Los Angeles Rams, they were the best. They had a 68% team pass block win rate. And I know Tony referenced the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're, they're obviously, they're not as good. Um, they're actually a little bit worse than the Arizona Cardinals, which is crazy if you can believe it. And actually, in fact, they're actually below <laughs> Seattle and Denver, who Seattle in 15th had a 61%, while Denver had a six, uh, was in 16th with 61%. So they're both essentially pretty bad is what we're getting to. I mean, they're above average, like like slightly above average. But yes, like the, the difference that I feel like everybody has kind of said like, oh, wow, Denver's going to improve a lot. Well, maybe not. Like the, the sack data that you pulled up, you could say like, okay, well, but Russ's play style is going to make it easier on, on the Denver Broncos. Not necessarily. Like, you know, I, I would imagine that it's essentially going to be a similar outcome bar free agency and draft improvements that the Broncos have made. I would imagine so because, and one of the things that I not only just looked up stack data, that was, of course, something that I was interested in. But then once I saw that these numbers were so close, I actually thought, well, Teddy Bridgewater was their quarterback for most of last season. And I was interested to look up some of his highlights. So I did. And what I saw was very interesting. And it was not that his highlight, quote unquote, highlight real throws were all that impressive and all that amazing on their own. The reason that they made the highlight reel was because he was constantly running. And if you think about Teddy Bridgewater, he's really like a Costco brand Russell Wilson. They play very similarly. Uh, so they kind of like play the same way. They just play it a little bit differently. Russell Wilson is obviously better. It's almost like talking about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. One of them is clearly better. They kind of play the same way with their mobile quarterbacks. Uh, one's more of a power runner, one's more of an elusive runner. Russell Wilson and Teddy Bridgewater, they're kind of the same style. They just do it fairly differently. But at the end of the day, I actually think that it's going to be fairly similar numbers for the Denver Broncos O-line. I think Russ isn't going to make it that easy because he's so elusive. He tries to get out of the pocket whenever he can, and I think he's going to have to. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, like you were saying, realistically speaking, 
the the lines aren't that dramatically better. Like I feel like everybody kind of was like, oh, Denver should be a lot better. I actually think Russ may have had a bit of an offensive downgrade. I, you know, it, it's impossible to say. I think without kind of reinserting Russ back onto Seattle, and of course, I, I don't think there's a, a website that's going to do those projections. But looking at Denver's offense, so Denver by currently Zelo has an eight oh one offense, which is really good until you consider that it's the third best offense in their division. Right. That's another reason why I don't think the Broncos are going to be that amazing. They're in such a tough division. And honestly, I don't think just solely adding Russell Wilson is really going to change all that much in the in this division because you can argue he's not even the second best quarterback in this division. You could argue he's the third best. And in fact, Zelo does. I mean, unsurprisingly, I am really high on Justin Herbert. I am really high on Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson, and I've said it a thousand times, and I'm going to keep saying it, he does really, really well in the first eight weeks, and then he inevitably falls off. And for a little bit, Tom and I were kind of speculating, well, maybe it's because the O-line, the poor O-line play was finally catching up to him. Maybe he was getting a little hurt. Maybe we'll see a difference in Denver because he's got a new O-line. And the data actually suggests we could see that trend continue now. He's not getting any better, and not only that, I think everybody would kind of agree he has worse receiving weapons in Denver than he did in Seattle. And not only that, but not not only is Denver the third best offense, Russell Wilson by Zelo is the fourth best quarterback in this division on a passing basis. I don't hate that take, honestly. Like we have I think it's I think it's a little spicy, but yeah. Seen anything particularly crazy from Russell Wilson in the past few years consistently over a full year. And that's what I think Russell Wilson's big downfall is. He starts off so hot, but he cools off so much when it matters right at the very end. And I don't think that this Denver team is really going to go anywhere. I saw so many people say the Denver Broncos are Super Bowl bound. They're going to get 13, 14 plus wins this year. If you think about what they've done this offseason, other than add Russ, they haven't really made any flashy moves. They kind of traded away their best receiver for a quarterback, and it doesn't really make sense to in say a, the team best is, receiver in a tight end. Obviously. Yeah, in a, in a tight end. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to say that this team is going to be so much greater when all you did was add a quarterback, who of course was an improvement, and your defense is elite, but the rest of that offense still needs a lot of work. Yeah, no, for sure. And I here's the thing. I was not going to be they'll be a 14-win team. I know so look, Tony and I we've, we've talked about this a million times. Our best analysis as 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 fanalists as I like to call us was picking the Rams to win the Super Bowl. Here's why da 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 da. And we never said this team is going to be like a 17-win team, look like the best team ever. No, we said this team is going to be good, but they have a hard schedule, so we expect them to struggle a little bit. But we still expect talent to rise to the top, and they'll be a Super Bowl team. And so that was the take that I was ready to go with and launch with the Denver Broncos, just because I believe, I believed, I should say, I believed, my eyes have been open, that Russell Wilson was going to be such And I think... Denver. Now let me let me get this straight. This is not me saying that Russ will not win a Super Bowl in Denver. I think that he very could, he very easily could in the future if they do a little bit of retooling. I'm just saying right now 
through the analysis of ESPN and CBS and filtering it through Zillow, Denver may not even be finished with the best record. As of right now, Zillow currently has Denver in fourth, slightly behind the Raiders in terms of record. And that is a little bit of a hot take, I would say. I think I would put them at about third. Their absolute best case scenario to me is fighting for second place in that division, but I could see them being last in this division, even with Russell Wilson. No, I mean, it feels a little unfair to the Raiders to be like, well, they're just automatically going to be fourth. Like, they were a playoff team last year, but still, the the, the point's been made, you know, how much better did Denver get? Well, they obviously got better. The the quality, well, the amount that they, which they got better is a little less, is a little less, I don't know, clear. It's really just going to come down to time will tell, and time will show is Russell Wilson able to really take this team and vault it into something that it hasn't been in recent memory since Peyton Manning? Yeah, and I think that that team, I think the team as a whole, like defensively, I think they, you know, this is, like I said, the, the they're the second best defensive team in the AFC. And that is relying on that projection to hold true based off of the performances we saw last year. But as we saw with the Washington Commanders, that is not a guarantee at all. This defense could also take a huge step back, in which case I don't think Denver has the firepower to do so. To, to Or Denver has the offensive firepower to account for a bad defense. Russell Wilson literally had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, who are two extraordinary wide receivers. I don't know they just don't have those weapons anymore. Russell doesn't have those weapons. I should say Seattle does have those weapons, but he left. (laughs) Yeah, Seattle still has those weapons. I think that this team has gotten better, like you said, with Russ. But if we look at last year, they were this team, this Denver Broncos team was one in five against their own division. And, you know, maybe they pick up a game against the Raiders. I think they can do that. I see this game. I see this team going two and four, maybe three and three against their own division. They have an elite division. I don't see them ever beating the Chiefs consistently enough to be number one. I don't love saying that they're going to beat the Chargers to beat number two. I think they fall at about number three because I am low on the Raiders, but they could be four. Yeah, and this is not by any means to knock Russell Wilson for as a player. He's still a great quarterback, still a Hall of Famer quarterback in my opinion, but... It's just because of the division. Like, context matters, right? Nothing happens in a vacuum. Like, if Russell Wilson got traded to the NFC East to the Dallas Cowboys, the value on that would be astronomical because the NFC East is kind of terrible. And I would expect the Dallas Cowboys to then be Super Bowl favorites. But because Denver was arguably the fourth best team in the division, I gotta think that Russell Wilson can only make them the second best team at the absolute most, maybe the third best team if you're a little bit of a downer on him. So... I, that's 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 a tease for for next time when we really do full analysis. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I find this stuff exciting. I love I love doing these predictions. I love talking about why the predictions are happening and 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 what it, what kind of is unexpected. Yeah, I absolutely do agree. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to get into this. I can't wait for it. Uh, but this has been another great debate episode. It has been, and I'm going to end on one last little teaser that I think is going to drive people a little crazy. The Chargers are going to win the AFC West. Okay, goodbye.